just the two of us. We can make it if we try. It's just the two of us. Hey everybody, welcome to another Pink Pod, this one being episode 134. I'm Mike Levy, and today we're going to be talking about new mountain bike tech because there's been some pretty neat, or at least interesting things that have been either released or spotted at races over the last week, including brand new downhill bikes, new electronic drivetrains that could shift automatically, and a production version of the wild Supra drivetrain from those mad German scientists at Nikolai. So we're going to jump into all that stuff and get nerdy. But before we do that, it's just Casimir and I today. Kaz, it's just the two of us. Now look at that again. Back again. <laughs> I will I will say before we get into this, there's some sort of like hornet bee thing flying around in my shop right now that I can't get out of here. So if it attacks me during this podcast and you hear me screaming, that's that's what's going on. So don't be alarmed. Um Kaz, before we get into new stuff, I thought this was a great opportunity since it is just the two of us to talk about some of the gear that you've been testing lately. Have you been on any New bikes that we can expect to see reviews of in the nearish future? Well, we do have all those bikes that we tested during the field test. So those videos and articles will be coming out pretty soon. So that was like that. For I, Did we reveal all the bikes to people yet? I can't remember. We could talk about some of them. Like we had that I Contra bike. Yeah, yeah, we did. So all those those videos are in post-production now. So that's coming soon-ish. Um, yeah, so the, all, those are probably like the, the most recent interesting things that I wrote. I also have... I've got the new high tower, that Santa Cruz high tower that came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's pretty regular. Oh, yeah. It's kind of yeah. it's not like a totally revamped bike. They just they gave it the uh, the glove box and a couple little tweaks. But I've been riding that. Um, what else do I have? Same travel, same angles, or is it revised a little bit? Revised a little bit, not drastically though. But um, yeah, pretty modern. Like it's a trail bike, basically. You know, one forty five rear travel, one fifty front. So I've been playing around with that. I tried it with the 160 yeah. Lyric for a little bit. Uh, I'm back to the 150 fork. Which I think it, I actually kind of think I like it better with a 150 fork. Makes me less likely to do silly things. Um, yeah, they there? got lots of new bikes coming out. I guess it's probably like Tallboy next, maybe next year or something. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe something else. Um, but let's see. Other things that I've been testing. <laughs> Thanks for that inside cast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't tell. I mean, you could probably guess, but it, it's not the tall boy that is next. But <laughs> I can't say what yeah, it is. Yeah, though. okay. Fair yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. I'm just trying to get it out of you for the people. You know what I'm I doing. I know. I know. You're doing your job. <laughs> um, I do have a, yeah. I've got a Rocky. I got a Rocky Mountain e-bike coming to test. I've got the, the Instinct Power Play, which actually looks pretty interesting. That's oh, like yeah. the shorter travel one. And that has their yeah. motor system, which I haven't spent a ton of time with their motor. So uh, that'd be a fun thing to zip around on. And yeah, I think oh, I have those new Hayes Dominion T4 brakes are coming, which I'm also excited to get time on those. Yeah. Um, they're basically just the same as the existing Dominions, but with a lot of titanium and carbon fiber. But I really like the Dominion. So it'd be kind of fun to to test them again. They're so good. They are so yeah. good. They're really yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all I've got for now that I can talk about pretty much. Um, there's other things are you those... are you still riding that contra from the field test or did you send no, it back? i had to send that back that's evan's baby so he kind of needed it back for it's like oh. obviously there's not that not too many of them so um yeah actually i did hang on to the comments all meta sx i have that right now um just i'm gonna play around with that a little bit more oh yeah just to 
kind of see what I can do with it. Why but, did you keep uh, that bike and not some of the other ones? Uh, no particular reason, but that was one I really like the geometry on paper really appeals to me. And then riding it was like, it's close, but I kind of wanted to mess around with just some different handlebars and just some, I guess some more, more fit things just to try to see what it feels like. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, for those people wondering and waiting, the field test reviews will start coming out. I don't want to give an exact date. I think we're still two two or three weeks away. We still got to do some things. I just recorded all the voiceover intros yesterday, Kaz. Let's hope I got all the facts right. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, out of all those bikes, I mean, I rode that Contra there. And let's talk about that thing for a minute before we move on. Uh, the review is coming out, so we're not going to go too deep. But I got on that bike and you took us up a wall of a climb. It was like there's this vertical gravel road that went straight up, not not super long, two grand, 2,000 feet or something. But I'm on a 37-pound high pivot bike with an idler. I was blown away by how well that thing pedaled. It was crazy. Where yeah, you, and with a coil surprised? shock too. Yeah, for sure. Like it definitely pedaled yeah, better Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. If you could put the weight aside, because it is a heavier bike, but when you put the weight aside, it climbs great. Like I was super impressed. Uh, climbing position and the way that the suspension just doesn't really move when you're cranking along. So yeah, it's a cool, cool bike. Yeah. I was a little behind you on that climb, but my bike was heavier and it did have an idler. So I just want to, if we were on the same bikes, I think I would have been. Uh, right yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's move on. And before we move on, I'm going to read an ad from Yakima Kaz. Here we go. This episode is sponsored by Yakima. Look in your rear view mirror. Is your bike still there? Are those bungee cords still holding? Zip ties failed yet? Yakima has got your back with a rack for all your snacks and packs to get you to that Lomi single track. No whack, Kaz. One bike, two bikes, three bikes, four. Bring your friends and even more. Check out our newest bike racks, Stage 2, and hang tight at yakima.com. And through July, get 20% off using promo code PINKBIKE at checkout. All right, let's move on to questions. So these questions are from under the last podcast, episode 132, where Kaz and I talked about his time at the Stone King Rally, a six-day enduro race in France and Italy that went down last week. So if you haven't listened to that, Check it out because we got some good stories from there. So this first question is from Ollie J. He says, this was probably my favorite podcast to date. Thanks, Ollie J. Can Pinkbike please just sponsor the mics to go to events all year and shoot the shit on podcasts afterwards? Pretty please. Kaz, I think that would be amazing. I don't think that's what Brian wants us to do, but like... But I'd be so into that. <laughs> yeah. Especially if we did events that like we that were out of our comfort zone like you and i did some xc racing like i did a downhill race you did an yeah. xc race i don't know i think it'd be great i'd do whatever yeah and we'd go to swamp fest we definitely have to go to swamp fest to check out the oh, bmx God. craziness in florida <laughs> i really want to go it looks so scary <laughs> i feel like i would get injured just watching them in the parking lot <laughs> yeah i would get tetanus like walking in there you get tetanus i'm pretty sure but it looks like a good yeah. time so yeah uh yeah ali j that's a great idea i'm into it i don't think it'll work either but i would love to just um, especially if we just podcast, I didn't have to write any words. That'd be yeah. great. Yeah. Podcasting is so great. It's like, I don't even have to edit it. I don't have to read it after I do it. It's done. Yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> I just done. send it to Eric and he fixes it. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, years ago, Wayne and I went and did that stage race in Israel 
And it was amazing. Kaz, and like, if you and I could do something like that together and then like podcast each day afterwards, for anybody out there that has events all over the world, like if you want to fly us to your event and then no race coverage, just like maybe some podcasting from the event and that's all, Kaz and I are probably up for it. So just let us know. (laughs) All right, let's go on. Next, The next question is from Pinkbike user Burnt Toast. This is a long one, so I, I might paraphrase here he says after a successful trip to the bike park he rewards himself with a shirt or whatever they have at the mountain bike shop in town he says it's cheaper than hospital bills and it's incentive not to crash kaz he wants to know how we reward ourselves after a significant ride or trip so what do you do yeah it's probably food related i don't know like i mean around here there's let's see what do i do yeah, I don't know. There's nothing I'm trying to think. Like, there's the sandwich shop. Da I don't Vinci's, picture like, you rewarding yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, like if I go to Whistler, I go to Samurai Sushi on the way home. That's pretty good. Like, oh yeah, I get some sushi yeah, that is at that place. So I guess that's a reward. Yeah, yeah. So sushi. Yeah. If I'm going back from Whistler, I get sushi. Okay. What I used to do. This is before I was veggie. I after every big ride, I would go to a corner store and I would get two sticks of spicy pepperoni an ice cold monster and a chocolate milk. And I would eat them all. I would consume them all at the same time. So it'd be like carbonated chocolate milk with spicy meat in my stomach. And I mean, it always worked and well. It like, smells I always, so bad afterwards. Yeah. 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 But Kaz, I've always said, if you want to be a rocket engine, you got to put in rocket fuel and that stuff to me, like it felt like it made me recover better. The next day I was ready to go. Yeah. It's got all the balance. It's balanced. It's got carbs and protein and, everything you need yeah all yeah. all i do for yeah. me yeah. yeah i don't know i think it's just food yeah just food yeah all, all i do for me would be uh yeah reward myself with some kind of delicious food that i would probably eat regardless even if i didn't go for a ride or a trip and then uh i use those stupid air leg things if it's a big ride that make me feel really good i like those. oh really oh, those are weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah they are weird they're supposed to uh it equals like a full day of recovery but it's kind of oh. painful yeah kind of hurts yeah. anyways We have one more question. This one is from episode 131. That was an interview with Seb Stott. We talked about geometry, unreliable brakes, enduro bikes, all that kind of thing. Again, if you haven't listened to it, go check it out. This question is from Tadpole Dancer. He says, why are big tire companies not making tire inserts themselves? Either special tires with built-in inserts or they could just go crazy with the marketing uh, about how their tire and their inserts are meant to work with each other, synergies, so on and so forth. Kaz, so aside from Procore, um, and also Vittoria makes inserts, how come we don't see tire companies making more inserts? Why do you think that is? I mean, one reason is if you're making an insert, it's almost like an admission that your tires aren't strong enough. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like if you, oh, that's you a good you're point. saying yeah. you've got your downhill casing tires and those ideally should be strong and good. So if you make an insert, it kind of almost makes it seem like our tires aren't quite good enough. Um, I don't know if that's a real reason, but I mean, it is a different material, different production process. So some of these companies probably just don't have the the bandwidth to add on to them or they just don't see the the need for them. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like we, like you said, Victoria hopped in there and they make, they make them, um, yeah, no, we haven't really mm-hmm. seen like there's, yeah. anyway, there hasn't been any like integrated things either for a while. You know, we back in the day, remember Michelin had that like super secret sort of moose thing in their yep. tire. 
Um, the system. But recent, yeah, recently there hasn't been, at least not that I've seen on the, the World Cup circuit. Seems like it's kind of calmed down a little bit. But I'd be interested to know what people are actually running this year, like how many people are still on inserts or if they just gone back to straight up just you know thick casing downhill tires yeah i was i was talking to gwyn i think podcast episode 130 everybody if everybody's listening and wants to hear that uh and i asked him about inserts and he doesn't use inserts anymore he says it depends obviously on the tire and the track and all that kind of stuff um but i mean even aside from from flats there's like rim reliability it helps with that it's like insurance there's some big pluses there as far as integrated stuff i mean inserts wear out so they can't be attached to the tire because you have to sort of replace them over time um but i think we'll see i mean i wouldn't be surprised if we saw maxis inserts and schwalbe inserts and and all that kind of stuff soon it makes so much sense i'd be surprised i don't know i feel like inserts are have like found their place and they're not going to grow much more but i could be wrong it's kind of like they're there, they exist for the okay. people that want them, and everybody else would probably be totally fine on just downhill casing tires if they, without them. But it could be wrong. There you go. Kaz, tell us about the news. There's new stuff. All right. There's all kinds of new stuff this week. We got Eurobike coming up pretty soon. So this this week and next are going to be all, all kinds of new um, products and bikes and everything revealed. First thing on our list is the Alley Bike alpha polestar edition so this is alley bike is a small swedish brand they sell road and mountain bikes and then polestar is the electric car company swedish electric car company so they've teamed up um, they made a new new frame it's a downcountry bike and it's not electric which is kind of surprising coming from this partnership with the electric bike company um, 120 mils rear travel 130 mil front um, they're only going to make 100 of them so far and they come with either xtr or axis and a custom tuned olin's shock and fork so they're not going to be cheap. We didn't have a price yet either, though. But either way, if you're limited edition and fancy parts don't necessarily or don't usually mean that it'll be affordable. Um, there's also only one size, the medium with a 466 millimeter reach. And we actually have one coming in for testing. Are you going to test that, Levy? This looks like your kind of bike. Yeah, I think I am going to ride that. I think this thing makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's got the car tie up. So I like personally. Does it, does it make sense? The bike? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I haven't ridden it yet. I mean, it might be. They're only making a hundred of them. And it's like, <laughs> well, they're obviously going to eventually make more with like not go- bright gold Olin suspension. I would imagine like yeah. you don't make a mold for a hundred frames. That's not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's something I would do. But if you're, if you didn't want to waste money um, and yeah. I imagine there'll be other sizes down the road, but yeah, no, I Probably. think it's interesting. The type with Polestar, I don't think like, I, I don't imagine the bike is like, any better for it? I bet someone at Alley Bike is probably getting really angry at me. But like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a neat car tie-up. Yeah. You're just hoping that it shows up on a Polestar. I would love one. A Polestar yeah. 1, especially. It looks cool. It looks like a fast <laughs> yeah. thing. I could crash it so quickly. The, yeah. the, well, the bike and the car. But the car, even quicker than the bike. Yeah. No, yeah. they are they are fast, fancy things. Kaz, do you remember when Trek and Volkswagen did a thing together? Like you bought a Volkswagen and you got a Trek? Yeah, I think you got like a Trek 820. That was yeah. a long time ago. Yeah. That was a long, long time ago. And, and there was a there Kona was... one yeah. also. What was it? The Kona? I can't remember. There's a Kona partnership with some some brand. I think my favorite is the Porsche tie-up with the weird Euro German brand, Votech. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. It had that crazy dual crown fork on it. And uh-huh. that thing was really neat looking. I have no idea if it worked. Who cares? Yeah. It looks yeah, neat. Cr- <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's interesting when car, or car and bike companies try to combine and, and make something. I don't know if it always works, but. Yeah, but it's funny. I'm, I'm just picturing like my my Taycan with a Votech on the roof. 
held on by that rack with the electronic suction cups as I speed off to ride at the trail center. (laughs) That'd be great. Let's see. What else do we have in the news this week? Oh, we had uh, Seb Stott reviewed the Stanton Switch Niner FS Tie Carbon. So this bike has a titanium front triangle and a carbon rear end. Um, You can also get it with a steel front end, aluminum rear, or carbon and steel or alloy and titanium mashup if you wanted or you can upgrade the swing arm on the aluminum and steel bike so all kinds of you can just mix and match all your all your materials to suit your preference and your budget um, this one has 140 mils rear travel 160 mils up front so basically kind of an aggressive trail bike um, Seb had to do a bunch of tinkering to get it to to kind of work exactly how he wanted there are a couple little i don't know maybe call it rough around the edges but in the end he was happy with it said you know really progressive and you know, once he pushed it hard enough felt pretty good but definitely took some uh took some tuning to to get where he wanted um yeah i don't know what do you think of this thing maybe definitely have that kind of uk garage style look to it yeah i before i read the review first off i think the thing looks amazing and regardless of whether it's the best material choices or not, I love the fact that it has a titanium front triangle and a carbon rear end. I think that's pretty neat. Um, the Geo looks really interesting. The bottom bracket looks like East Coast 2003 high kind of thing. Um, yeah, you know, I was surprised that he had some issues. He had that sticky pivot and the cable routing didn't really work all that well. And it's not cheap, like 4,400 pounds with that ext shock mm-hmm. is, yeah and that's is, just for the frame and shock yeah 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 um but again titanium and carbon is made in small numbers and stuff and and i think it's neat that you can choose your frame material um i'm gonna wait for the copper pipe carbon rear end version nice <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna look good yeah real soft ride characteristics uh-huh. it really yeah. damps the trail yeah uh, but yeah no it's a shame that there were some issues but uh i think that's what you get when it's like small numbers and I think for somebody who wants something like this, they can probably look past that. Um, yeah, and I think it's it's good to try these little things because some of them yeah, exceed our expectations. Someone some don't quite meet, but yeah, um, yeah, it's always good to mix up the kind of more cookie cutter big brand name stuff with these little interesting companies. Yeah, exactly. And we've been doing a bunch of that lately. Like Matt also uh, Matt reviewed the Matt Beer sorry reviewed the uh, the, the steel Kotic recently Kotic or Kotic. Um, and what we've had some interesting bikes. I think there was like a Banshee or something recently and all sorts of interesting stuff. So we're not just doing the carbon, super lightweight stuff. Great. Yeah. Great to see. Yep. Uh, also, we had a World Cup race this last weekend. There was some drama and things we'll talk about in a little bit, maybe. But we'll talk about the bikes first. Yeah. Yeah. Not, we won't talk about Nino. He got mad. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> he was real angry. <laughs> yeah. But for bikes, we spotted on the downhill circuit, we saw the new Forbidden. Um, they've been kind of teasing that for a while. And we saw Connor Fearon was actually racing the 154 mil travel uh, dreadnought the last couple of races. So I bet he was excited to get on a bike with more travel. I'd imagine Kaz, somewhere. Yeah. He got a top 20 on that enduro bike at Fort William. I'm sure it was modified and, and whatnot, but like regardless, the roughest track. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's impressive. It's it always hard to like when you always, because it's always that what if, like what he had done better on more travel. But yeah. either way, now he has more travel. So, uh, he can hopefully go even faster, but yeah. So we're, we're imagining around 200 millimeters travel, you know, downhill bike looks like a full on dedicated downhill bike. So yeah, as far as the frame design goes, um, it's kind of like a flipped four bar, you know, a virtual high pivot. So it's different from the solid rear triangle design that forbidden uses on the dreadnought and druid trail bikes, but pretty cool. It's like, they've got, you know, now they have that dedicated downhill bike in their lineup, which makes sense. They've got a world cup team. So always good to have the team guys on a bike. 
built for that purpose. So we'll see how it goes the rest of the season. And speaking of new bikes, we also had the new specialized demo prototype. Um, this one looked a lot different than we thought it would had lugged carbon tubes and we couldn't see the linkage at all. So it's got some giant chain stays, kind of like a machined, um, machined chain stays that look huge, but then they lead to something and we don't know what it is. There's no, no way to tell. They had a pretty good neoprene wrap over it. It's probably a shock Kaz. I bet there's a shock. In it. It's a guess. I mean, you can't tell. There's no way to tell for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. yeah. There are some, there are some pretty interesting things on this bike aside from the suspension that we can't see. So carbon tubes with lugs. So Specialized has their own carbon prototyping facility. So I would imagine that that allows them to check angles and stuff and speeds up the manufacturing process. We don't know if this is what the production bike is going to use. I imagine it would be like a molded carbon monocoque thing once they've got the geometry dialed in. But who knows? It would be really neat if we saw Specialized come to production with something like this. The thing that I wanted to talk about though, are those freaking chain stays. They're very tall. They're very skinny. They're aluminum. It makes me think that there might be some sort of designed-in flex here, like lateral flex. Um, but I'm just guessing. What do you think, Kaz? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they looked so tall and stout that I wouldn't think that there'd be flex from them. I was almost thinking they might be that big because they could be driving the shock directly mm. off of them, or there's yeah. a, maybe a link underneath the bike. So in my mind, I'm envisioning some sort of like motocross-style linkage, you know, yeah. like a little like some of the KTMs have a, a thing like that. I was looking at different designs, but... Um, yeah, I'll be excited when they take that cover off just to see it because I want to I want to know what it's doing. And Finn got second place on it, so that's a pretty good uh, good start to it. I think he said he has nine or ten rides on it so far, so that seems like a pretty uh, getting up to speed pretty quickly on that thing. So interesting to see where it goes. It's always neat when the new demo comes out. Like every, it seems like every three years or whatever it is, like a new demo comes out, we we get all excited and. It usually is a wholesale design change of some sort. Like they, they definitely go different directions with. Yeah. They do a good job with, yeah, mixing up. Like there's the one-sided one, which I still think was one of the cooler reveals when that one-sided demo came out. That was, oh, like, that was amazing. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, yeah. And even the last one that kind of like the, the current iteration is pretty cool looking too. So yeah, it's always neat to see what they do. And this one looks like a whole step in a whole nother direction. So we'll see where it goes. Yep. That's it for news. Did you want to talk about any other news? You know. We can talk about Nino. Oh, look, I see. I almost skipped over him. I talked about him and then I almost forgot him. We can't forget Nino. So <laughs> why don't you tell us what happened, Levy? I know there were some XC guys slapping each other in the woods. That oh, one yeah. cut the other one off and then they said bad words. And, yeah. yeah. So uh, the race in Lenzerheide World Cup uh, is Nino's home World Cup. He could have. So right now he's tied for the all-time World Cup cross-country wins uh, with Julian Absalon. Um, so he could have beat the record at his home race in Switzerland, but apparently, uh, somewhere off camera, we didn't see Matthias Flukiger. I'm sorry, Matthias, <laughs> but Matthias went for the pass at some point and I guess there was a crash. And when they crossed the finish line, I think Nino didn't win obviously, uh, but when they crossed the finish line, Man, Nino was mad. Mad enough that he was yelling stuff at Matthias after the finish line and got a fine for it, um, which I think some people had took issue with, like role models, blah, 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 blah. But you also have to realize, like, there's so much adrenaline and, like, testosterone and, like, going on. You know, you're at a World Cup race. And we should also mention there's some history between these two guys, isn't there, Kaz? Last year, I think Matthias went for a pass on Nino – or no, Nino passed Matthias – and uh, 
either took the win or passed it for second or third or whatever it was. And I guess Matias took issue with that pass. It was a little close or a little rowdy. I don't know. Um, so there's some history there. But I love this kind of stuff. You know, it's like when we see the roadies fighting and they're like, they're like slapping each other while wearing their ballerina <laughs> shoes on the pavement. Yeah. I love that stuff. You know, <laughs> these guys are out there. They're giving it, they're giving it everything they have. Um, yeah. And some sketchy stuff happens sometimes. It's good. Yeah. I like it. I mean, I think it's funny, but I, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes at the next race. It's, it's a reason for people to tune in. Maybe, maybe these guys are just like, has there been ever been like a full on like fight? an xc race have you ever seen i mean i'm sure there has been but like yes a world cup like (laughs) like fist fight in the middle of an xc race because i would watch that i swear uh years ago a some athlete was doing an xc race was it brian lopes was doing an xc race and like some guy was trying to pass him off the course and he like smoked him brian like blocked him with his bike and smoked him with it or something and i mean i can see that i don't know yeah all sorts of stuff goes on i mean we've seen it we see it lots in road racing and i'm sure off camera some crazy shit happens yeah Um, hopefully on camera so next yeah next race i want to see matthias and Scherter just like cross the finish line and just start brawling. And it'll be great. It was so good. <laughs> Nino would take him. Have you seen Nino? He's built like a brick shit house. He's solid. Yeah. Well, it'll be good. We can place bets. It could just be like a side thing. Like <laughs> just like they do the XC race and then they fight afterwards too. Dude, screw short track. It's MMA matches to determine the start line of the XC World Cup race. <laughs> that'll be so good. Hello, Red Bull. Come talk to yeah. me. I'll yeah, tell you what I need to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I I think Nino, well, I hope and I believe that Nino is going to break this all-time win record, hopefully at the next round. Uh, and when he does, I'll be watching and cheering. And hopefully he passes Matias just before the finish line. That'd be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Kaz, let's talk about bikes and gear. We're all wrapped up with news, so let's get into that stuff. Last November, we got our first look at the new Supra drivetrain from the mind of a Canadian guy named Cedric Evelé of Lau Bike. So if you haven't seen it yet, I'll include links and a photo or two in this podcast article. Uh, but let's give it a brief description of what Supra is and how it works, uh, because the first production bike was just released. And I use the term production bike kind of loosely because it is a Nikolai. It's going to be expensive and there's not going to be very many of them. But it's a production bike and it's a wild looking thing. And it's the first one to use this Supra drivetrain. So to sum up Supra, I'm going to read Seb Stott's description of it in that Nikolai article. He says, to recap the Supra drivetrain, it's the brainchild of Canadian engineer Cedric Evelé. The idea is to keep the derailleur out of harm's way by splitting the gear selecting part and the chain tensioning part. So normally a derailleur obviously does both of those things. So the gear selector pulley... That's the derailleur in this case. It's heavily modified. It sits up high above the bottom of the cassette and it's tucked right in close to it, making it way less likely to get hit by rocks. The chain tensioner part, uh, that sits above it as well as a bonus. There's, there's a tensioner arm that uses a hydraulic damper hidden inside the down tube. So compared to a basic friction clutch found in most derailleurs, the idea there is it is said to reduce chain slap and make shifting smoother because it's, it's not on the derailleur. Uh, it also separates that chain tension part. Kaz, you know, when you're, when your clutch is really strong, that can actually affect your suspension action. So separating that helps that as well too. Um, it's also claimed to be slightly more efficient than a conventional drivetrain that uses an idler, which definitely appeals to me. So Kaz, 
All that sounds pretty promising, but I don't think either of us expected to see a production bike with the super drivetrain released this soon. Can you just give me a rundown of this crazy Nikolai? Yeah, I mean, it definitely looks wild to see, you know, to see this, what we've seen before, just kind of prototypes that Cedric made. So it's kind of interesting to see a more production ready bike. Um, and it's definitely a, a big bike. So it's 165 or 178 mils of rear travel designed around 160 to 180 mil fork. So kind of your enduro free ride bike park type of thing. Um, uses super boost spacing. So 157 mil rear spacing, 29 inch wheels or mixed wheels. It's got a 64 degree head angle. So kind of modern. Um, you can get it as long as you want since it's a Nikolai. So yeah, modern progressive geometry. And then this crazy drivetrain on there. And that's really the, the talking point. Like the bike itself, that's what you notice right away, just because there's a, a massive either pulley. Um, and then the other pulley for the, uh, uh for the drivetrain itself. So the, the chain kind of goes in a, almost looks like the a belt in a, a belt in a, uh, a car or something, the way that mm-hmm. the chain's routed. It looks like a timing chain, hopefully mm-hmm. easier to work on than <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and less expensive too, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it is a pretty crazy looking thing and it's not inexpensive either. So you can get the frame without the gears and without the damper, which I mean, I guess you need, but it's 3,100 euro or complete bikes start off at 7,500 euro. Um, it's interesting to see how Nikolai have designed the bike around the drivetrain, which is what you have to do with this. It requires a high pivot design. And with the Nikolai, the swing arm encloses that derailleur. And it's not really clear where that derailleur comes from in Seb's article, Kaz, because in Cedric's prototypes, he had modified a SRAM derailleur. And I'm just wondering on the production version, like, is it going to use like a modified SRAM or Shimano derailleur? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like in the pictures that Nikolai provided, they all, it kind of looks like a 3D printed type thing. So I'm not exactly sure what the what the final version will look like. Um, yeah, because I can't imagine SRAM would be too happy if they're really. Well, maybe I mean, since they're selling derailleurs to supply this thing, that would work. But yeah, I don't I don't know the I don't know the answer to that. So I don't know what who's providing the parts for this derailleur type thing. Um, but yeah, if it's tucked away inside the frame, it'd be super hard to damage it. Yeah. And it also has bolt-on dropouts at the back, which, I mean, that's for switching wheel sizes possibly, or it looks like the derailleur mount itself is actually switchable too. Um, so this is kind of a, it's definitely a neat looking but complicated bike, Kaz. Single pivot with a, a linkage that compresses an EXT shock. Um, we should probably get one of these, shouldn't we? Yeah, I'd like to try it or somebody should try it for sure. Um, yeah, I just want to see how it shifts and yeah how how it works and if it's any better than a regular derailleur i mean that's really the thing you know derailleurs these days as as easy as to talk shit about them they work pretty well and they're not that expensive um and so this is a whole bike designed around a new system which um yeah it's gonna be interesting to see where it goes like if other companies start hopping on is this the future or is this going to be another kind of gearbox style thing where they exist but they're kind of more on the periphery rather than mainstream yeah yeah the comments were pretty interesting under that Nikolai article too. Uh, most of them were positive. Um, but I have a question for you, Kaz. Imagine if SRAM or Shimano debuted a drivetrain like this. I I don't think we would see as many positive comments. I mean, it's super yeah. pro- proprietary, right? Yeah, I think people would just be confused and either they would just not know what's happening and they would say lots of bad things just because it's different it is so different um 
and it's it's not i mean i I don't want to say it's complicated but it is complicated it's got a lot going on you know it has it the fact that it has a whole other strut inside the frame um like it has a little basically not a suspension component but you have a charged cylinder inside the frame to make Mm -hmm. this thing work like you don't have that with a regular derailleur so is it more complicated than a normal drive chain like the chain is longer and there's an idler pulley but the derailleur itself is simpler there's no clutch in Mm -hmm. it yeah and like the basic ingredients are the same yeah it's like the same but different but i think that little internal piece does make it more complicated and i think it is i mean yeah i don't think it's wrong to say it is more complicated even though it's different like compared to like a regular derailleur at least for me i can toss a derailleur on in 10 minutes and be good to go this thing it's going to definitely take a little bit more you know adjusting and if you had to if you had to set up this up from scratch it would take longer but um i think it is interesting because it's as complicated it is, it's not as complicated as a gearbox. It's more serviceable. Um, yeah. And, the you know, the, when you think about how he's achieved this, it, it does make a lot of sense, you know, just as far as splitting apart the different ways that derailleur works and kind of um, reconfiguring the traditional drivetrain system. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball, Kaz. I already know how I'm going to answer this question, but where do you see this drivetrain in five years? Is it still here? Is it something that we see on a number of downhill and enduro bikes? Uh, or does it catch on even more than that? I think catch on even less. I don't know. Like, I like the little guy story and I want Cedric to succeed. I just don't see to, for, to me, like it doesn't, it doesn't grab me and make me want to have it. You know, I'm like, yeah. oh, that's cool. But I'm not like, I need that. I need to do everything I can to get this on my bike. Like, but, but, but that might be in large part because I don't have an issue with current derailers failing very often. Like mm-hmm. I have complaints about the clutches on some of the derailers and some other little, um, you know, gripes, but overall the way that they function is I haven't torn a derailleur off in years and years, like knock on wood, like, you know, even, even now you get those, the fancy axis derailers, they make a little bit like bzz, bzz, when you hit mm-hmm. a rock really hard and then they reset and they just keep going. So, um, as far as where this one goes, I don't know, you know, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think, you know, Nikolai is a, is a company that hasn't been ex- afraid to experiment in years past. They've always had their gearbox bikes and they've always kind of done different things. So it's not totally surprising that Nikolai is the first, but, um, you know, we could see this gain more acceptance of, of bigger, more mainstream companies for lack of a better, uh, word taken on, you know, there were rumors of some other, um, Canadian companies potentially making a bike with it. So yeah, I, I really don't know where it's going to go. I, I don't see it becoming the next big thing especially i mean we also need to mention that it works with a high pivot suspension design only so that also limits it so you're not going to see it like on an xc bike or anything like that so um it's gonna be a niche product but how big that niche is i don't i don't really know yeah i i wouldn't be surprised this has all of the pluses of a gearbox with none of the negatives most of the night mostly none of the negatives and all of the positives of a normal drivetrain. I mean, I could see like a downhill specific drivetrain in the future. And I'm not talking, you know, like SRAM's done, SRAM and Shimano's done downhill specific drivetrains, but I'm talking about the Supra specifically. Um, yeah, I, I could see that. And we do know that there are other bikes that are going to come out using this. I don't know about production bikes, but other brands are working with Cedric on this. Um, so I wouldn't be super surprised if we did see like a, you know, down five years from now, production downhill bikes are running the super drivetrain. It'd be, it would be kind of neat. In my mind, it does make way more sense than a silly gearbox. I mean, it's lighter and you could shift under load and use a normal shifter and, and all of that stuff. Um, 
but we haven't we've seen other brands come out with traditional drivetrains like trp and box and like basically get no spec and no traction relatively speaking um so yeah i don't know i i it's political politically wise i think it's some companies they might have to spec sram or shimano you know that's how that works so um yeah i don't know we'll see we'll see all right, Kaz, let's move on to another crazy drivetrain that was released at the same time. Shimano debuted their new XT Di2 drivetrain that's e-bike specific. And oh, mad. People were mad. <laughs> People were very <laughs> mad because in a move that I didn't see coming, this drivetrain can freaking shift by itself. Now, you can use it as a normal drivetrain, of course, but you can also set it up to shift automatically to keep you at the optimum cadence when you're riding this is possible because the chain ring on an e-bike it's always spinning around of course and that's you that allows you to shift while you're coasting there's also the free shift mode that uses the e-bike motor to shift gears while coasting the chain ring spins around just like i said we'll turn in the cranks um now of course this only move this only works when the bike is moving and the system doesn't power you forward without pedaling uh, but you combine this with the auto shift feature it means that you could stay in the right gear for the right speed that you're traveling without having to pedal or touch the shifter so in theory you decide to pedal the bike and it's already in the perfect gear um Cass, there are a lot of angry people out there about this thing and <laughs> people are so funny people are people are funny but i feel like i feel like I mean, there's a lot of curmudgeons with mountain biking, you know, and I read the comments under that and it sort of parallels a lot of like the car community and the arguments between like manual and flappy paddles and full automatic shifting. Um, people want to do things themselves. You know, what, what do you think of this? I think that this bike or this system is not designed for them. It's designed yeah. for your, you know, for your, your relatives that don't know how to ride bikes and they hop on a commuter e-bike and they want to pedal around the city and not need to worry about anything except just pedaling and this bike will do it or this system will do it for them i don't think auto shift is necessarily designed for the hardcore mountain biker i know it's not designed for the hardcore mountain biker though uh, yeah i think that an, an auto shifting e-bike is definitely more for the casual rider this person that just doesn't want to have to think and wants to go um, no one's taking your shifters away like you're still gonna be able to shift bikes for the foreseeable future <laughs> you know what i realized there are mountain bikers out there right now who have never had to use or learn how to use a front derailleur. And in a few years' time, there could be mountain bikers out there who have never had to shift on their own. <laughs> That'd be crazy. I don't I think that's a ways off, but you'll see. <laughs> I do think that the shifting wall coasting thing is cool. I would I'd be interested just to try that out. So that you know, if you're going downhill because the the front chain ring can spin and you could just shift while you're um while you're coasting so you could shift to a harder gear like if you come up to a jump or something while you're coasting yeah you would need to pedal you can just drop it down a little bit and then be in a harder gear so right that's kind of more it's more clever than anything you need but um yeah but as far as like the anger about auto shifting there's so many other things people could be angry about or really they just shouldn't be angry because we're still just talking about bikes and e-bikes and most of these people that are mining don't even have a regular e-bike to begin with so Mm -hmm. There's no need to worry. There's, yeah. I know you said it was for more casual riders, but I'm going to put out a different use case scenario. Let's talk about cars for a minute, Cass. Mm -hmm. 
And I um, like cars. <laughs> <laughs> an automatic, when you're driving at nine tenths, eight tenths, ten tenths on a track, I guarantee you the very large majority of people are going to be faster around that track driving a, a car with an automatic transmission or flappy paddles compared to a stick. 100%. The car, the car is better at it, better at shifting than you or I, no matter what. Um, so in an e-bike race scenario, Kaz, enduro racing on an e-bike, we've seen plenty of that recently. What about a situation where a rider doesn't ever have to think about shifting? It's doing it for them. And all they're doing is concentrating on getting around the corner as fast as possible, breaking as late as possible. Could you see something like that being I mean, an advantage? Maybe. It's, it's really the, like the terrain changes that would make it hard to pull off. You know, like on a course, when you're on, when you're on a, a car, it's flat, typically. You know, those shifts, or it's not changing the way. The, the road doesn't just all of a sudden pitch up dramatically. Uh, we'd have to drop to like your easiest gear right away. So I don't know how the bike would be able to adapt to that as well. You know, especially in an e-bike race where they're ideally they have some super steep sections, like to get mm-hmm. it to an easy enough gear. You know, I guess it's saying you can, you can pick the cadence that you want to be at, but, um, it is more to riding a bike than just always being at the same cadence. Yeah. You know, sometimes you need to slow down your cadence cause you need to kind of like grind over, like get your balance and then one of the faster cadence for different sections. So I don't know. I don't see it necessarily in a race scenario unless you were able to like pre-ride the course and make sure that it was all, all the yep. shifting worked perfect. But, um, I don't know who knows, maybe there'll be some sort of like auto shifting with manual override that you can just kind of go back and forth, but it does um, offer yeah, that. I, it does offer well, that. There you go. Yeah. Look at that. They have that. Yeah. Thing. The future, the future's here. The, so, I mean, I still cadence, see it more for commuters and stuff, but yeah, the cadence thing that you brought up is a really good point because I mean, people who think about their cadence, there are lots of people out there who think about their cadence, mountain bikers. Um, we're all different. You know, like I might I might prefer to turn over a, a harder gear at a slower cadence than you, who's slightly behind me on the climb, turns over a softer, easier gear at a faster cadence. So I don't know, maybe you can program in the cadence, the, like your ideal cadence that you want. I don't know. Like, um, Yeah. Well, but, a lot of these motors work best at a certain cadence too. You know, there is yep. a... Like to get the max output, you have to kind of spin, especially on the Shimano motor, you do have to almost, uh, your RPMs are a little bit quicker than like I would normally pedal. Um, yeah. So. Well, I'm I'm picturing an e-bike Casimir with this setup, auto shifting with flight attendant suspension. Hey. Yeah, you could. I mean, you I mean, have to think about SRAM, it. SRAM and Shimano and then the companies might not like each other. <laughs> I know, but that bike, you don't even have to think about <laughs> yeah. anything. You just get on it and go. Yeah. I don't think about anything. My bikes are fine without any of that right now. I know. I'm just, I'm just trying to play. But yeah, no, there are potentials. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. And it's fine. Like, and I, I mean, some of this stuff makes me roll my eyes too, because it is kind of silly, but, um, I think there's applications for, for all of it. And this one, I, I do see, like we're saying commuters, um, and potentially some of this stuff might end up being like a good benefit for regular e mountain bikers too. doesn't like, not all of us has to stick right away to the, the hardcore, um, side of things. Right. Very magnanimous of you, Kaz. Yeah, I know. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's let's do comment gold and then let's get the hell out of here. Uh, so this comment was posted under Henry's tech video from the Lenzerheide World Cup that saw him show us the new Gamics, uh, the new Alley Bike Polestar uh, tie-up, and some other interesting stuff. Uh, Bliss and Index. He says, one picture equals 1,000 words. Six minutes and 28 second long video at 30 frames per second 
equals 11,640 pitchers. This video equals 11,640,000 words. There you go, Bliss Index. That's for all those people that when we do a video, they want a photo story. And we do a photo story, they want a video. We can't win. So there you go. All right, everybody. That is it for this episode of the Pink Bike Podcast. Uh, We've talked enough about the new gear that's been released over the last few weeks. Let us know what you make of that new Nikolai and that new Supra drivetrain, as well as your thoughts on the new auto shifting feature of the DI2. Do you see it being useful on the trail for you? Uh, I challenge you to stay positive about that, everybody. Let's hear what you think. And as always, put those comments and questions down below and we might read them in the next podcast. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see you there.